Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck, a medallia company, and the Success League. StrikeDeck is a customer success automation platform that helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. The StrikeDeck solution enables churn prevention, upsells, and customer advocacy. They use machine learning and predictive analytics to bubble up insights and alerts about customer health, sentiment, and engagement. The Success League is a consulting firm focused on customer success. We work with executives who are ready to build and develop a top-performing customer success team that drives revenue and retention for their organization. We also offer a certification program for CSMs and coaching for customer success leaders. For more information, you can visit our website at thesuccessleague.io. My name is Kristen Hare, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. Today, Megan Macaluso, who is the Vice President of Strategic Development at ESG, um, is joining me, and they are a customer success as a service provider. Megan's intimately acquainted with the onboarding efforts of ESG's clients, and today we're going to be talking about onboarding and how much of it to automate. So, Megan, I'm so excited to finally have you on our podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. I'm really excited to be here with you. So before we get started on our actual topic, I'm going to sideline for just a minute because you and I both have Mini Coopers and love Mini Coopers. And if anyone has ever been on my website, you know that I am a huge fan of old and new Mini Coopers. Um, right now, I have a 2013 Kite Blue Mini Cooper S with black racing stripes on it. And what do you have right now? I have an electric blue 2017 uh, four-door Cooper S um, and okay. absolutely love it. Um, and I also, I um, in uh, uh, the long ago and far away times, used to run around with, with some people who drove vintage British cars like Triumphs and Spitfires and MGs and stuff oh, like that. So, so man, I, yeah, I love those speedy little British cars for sure. I know. Yeah, this is my first car um, other than my mom car that I had to have before this because <laughs> I had a, a small child in a car seat and you couldn't fit the car seat in the back of the Mini Cooper. So I had to wait for a while to get my Mini Cooper. Um, but before that, I always had two-seater convertibles and I'm looking at um, the Mini Cooper Coupe is the next car after my kid goes away and my kid's probably going to inherit the current Mini Cooper. Um what are what are you thinking for your future Mini Cooper plans? Well, because we live in Denver, the last year was my first winter with this car, and oh, um, and okay. in the last few years, like the snow and the the ice and the weather has been a lot um, less impactful. Uh, so I thought when I bought okay. it, I was like, oh, this won't be a problem. And then we had a really snowy winter and this one's not a all wheel drive. And so I think we may have to upgrade to something a little with a little more um all wheel drive traction no. stuff cuz there was there was some there was some like scary situations last year. So. Yeah. 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 So and I do drive my sister around in it, so 
Oh, yeah. No. I mean, in Europe, they do drive it up to ski slopes. I mean, you can you can get snow tires and stuff like that. It's just, yep. I think that where you live, the mountains are maybe a little more intense. It's true. Although so, we are going to try snow yeah. tires, maybe even like studded snow tires this year and see how we go. If that fixes the problem, I'm holding on to this thing for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I'm planning to give, like I said, mine to my kid, although I'm kind of scared that she's going to wreck it. Um, if anyone out there is listening and you haven't driven one of these, they are so fun, but they're like a go, mm-hmm. go kart on steroids. They go really, really fast, especially the yes. S's. Um, it is absolutely my favorite car that I've ever owned. Um, I used to have a BMW Z3 at one point, which was very mm-hmm. cool and very James Bondy, but I have to say this one is giving it a run for its money. So, um, Anyway, that's, um, yeah, I felt like we had to talk about Mini Coopers a little bit. So if anybody out there is listening and you want to talk about Mini Coopers or you have a Mini Cooper, you like Mini Coopers, you can call me or Megan and we will talk about it just with you. Just go test drive one. Um, just go, just go yeah, give them you a spin. Have They're to. so fun. Yes. And also on their website, this is a great customer success um, example, I think. If you go on their website, you can make a custom Mini Cooper out of, you know, it'll walk you through this little wizard where you can make them and it's super fun. And I know a lot of car companies have that on their website now, but when I bought my Cooper back in 2013, that was new and there weren't very many websites like that. And it's so fun to play around on there if you like cars. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I think they have a great customer experience. Okay. On to customer success now. <laughs> we should probably talk about our main topic at some point. To. <laughs> I know. Yes, this is going to become the Mini Cooper podcast. Um, since you haven't been on the podcast before, can you share with the audience a little bit about how you landed in the world of customer success? Uh, absolutely. Um, so it's interesting because uh, about 15 years ago, I worked for a company selling uh, call center technology that was cloud-based. And at that time, things that were, I mean, things like the cloud and SaaS, those terms didn't exist. It was, there were a couple of guys that had basically had our on-premise solution in their basement and um, had built a really cool interface. And we sold, um, you know, what we call dial-on-demand. And it was this, it mm-hmm. felt like this weird little niche thing. And all the on-premise sales guys thought that we were, you know, doing something that was really minimal and was never going to amount to anything. And I didn't realize at the time what that was going to turn into, right? That I was managing accounts that were, um, that were all on a subscription-based solution and that that was really new and cool. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was really, I mean, my first experience with it was, I mean, I was basically a customer success manager before that was mm-hmm. the name of it. And um, and so since then, I've, um, you know, I've done a lot of account management um, in different capacities and program management and project management um, for different types of services and customers um, which is why things like onboarding and implementation are near and dear to my heart because uh, I've been involved in some pretty complex implementations and deployments of, of systems with customers who've got, um, you know, really complicated customer base um, areas that we, we served. So, um, and that brought mm-hmm. me to working at ESG a couple of years ago uh, and building out a customer success practice, um, you know, where we can help companies 
build and optimize um, and extend their, their their customer success organization. So, um, you know, it's been a, it's been a really long time that I've been dug in in this world and um, really love it and have a have a tremendous passion for it. Very cool. Um, tell us a little bit about ESG. What does the company do and how do you help your clients with customer success? So we provide um, customer success as a service. Um, and number one is, you know, we help evaluate the customer success maturity um, of the companies that we're seeking to, to work with, right? So we identify key areas where they mm-hmm. need help. Um, and oftentimes they're coming to us saying things like, hey, I know we need to do these 50 things and we just simply can't do them all, right? Um, often customer success leaders are put in a place where they are responsible for the strategy, the execution, um, and the day-to-day function of of that organization. And it's near impossible to do that to the degree um, that they're expected mm-hmm. to do that work. Right. Um, and so we're able to step in and say, Hey, let us help you in some of these areas where we have really strong expertise. Um, and so we, we take a programmatic approach um, where we can provide dedicated CSMs that work behalf on work on behalf of our, our clients um, to onboard their customers um, and or uh, provide full customer lifecycle management for their end users that aren't getting served today. Uh, and then in addition to that, our services include um, you know, digital customer communication, reporting and analytics, tool deployment and customization, upsell, cross-sell, and, and education services. So um, they're all very, all of our programs are very customized based on the needs of our, um, of our clients. Um, and, you know, the, the longer that we, we work with the customers that we have and the deeper that we are in our business really allows us to, to provide a really strong strategic partnership um, and to execute on things that they're not able to do today. Cool. Um, today, we're going to be talking about onboarding, which I know is a big part of what you help your clients with. Um, and specifically, you know, as we were prepping for this, we talked about automation and onboarding. Um, and, you know, that's interesting topic because I think that uh, a lot of companies are trying to figure out where automation fits into all of the customer success programs that they're running. Why do you think it's important to balance automation with a human-driven onboarding program? Um, yeah, so I, the the ability to leverage a tech touch approach for onboarding definitely has its place. Right. And we're, and we're a big fan of that. And, and we uh-huh. provide that. I think where we see concern is if you can really over rotate on wanting to, to leverage that strategy, right? Like, yeah, it's really easy to say this is way less expensive um, than leveraging a human being. And particularly if you have a high volume of customers that you're trying to onboard, um, using tech touch is, of course, necessary to do that well and, do, and, and to be able to afford to do uh-huh. it. Um, but there are certain, components of the product itself and what that onboarding experience feels like to an end user that really dictates how much of that you can do right so on the on the one side of the scale if 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 the platform's super intuitive if it is um you know the value is realized very quickly um i think you know certain i think certain platforms you can probably talk to like Spotify, for instance, or Slack or something where the minute you have it in front of you, you can kind of navigate around and use it. Right. And so using, using, Mm -hmm. um, automated communication and digital communication in order to, to support that 
you'd be fairly successful without having a real person involved um, a lot of the time, right? Right. Um, and then, of course, on the other end of the spectrum, if, a, if an onboarding implementation is super complex, right, um, then, then you need a human being. Um, now, I think on either ends of the spectrum, that becomes clear. It's in the middle where things get a little bit dicey. Right. Um, and I think sometimes uh, a company can think that, hey, my, my product is super intuitive um, and our customers can completely figure this out on their own. And it's very easy. And so they're like, we're going to do this all yeah. in tech touch and we're going to save all kinds of money. Um, and the, the problem that we're running into and seeing is, hey, maybe the, the software is really easy to navigate, but how much effort is it going to take to deploy this within their environment? Like, do you need a lot of buy-in from um, other people in your organization in order to really leverage and maximize this software? If that answer is yes, then you probably need a person talking to them, right? Um, and so then you have to start to decide mm -hmm. when and how to use that automated approach versus how to, you know, where you really need a person involved. Um, and I think, you know, the general consensus is some of that administrative stuff, you really don't need a person on the phone for like, here's how to create a login and here's where a knowledge base is. And here's how to do these like relatively simple and straightforward things. I think people actually sort of appreciate not having to do that stuff with someone on the other end of the phone sometimes. Um, the, the really impactful conversations though become about Hey, you know, why did you buy this? What are you seeking to do? Like, what kind of environment are you plugging this into? Like, how many people are going to be using it, right? Like, how do we really make sure that you are realizing the investment that you're making? into this. Um, and so those are the types of conversations that we're having with companies, but we're definitely seeing a trend of, of the desire to leverage tech touch, I think to a place where it's, it's not necessarily appropriate. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's get into specifics. And if you can't, if you can't tell me this, um, that's fine, but I'd love to hear, and I know the audience would probably love to hear an example of a company that maybe got too dependent on automation for onboarding, um, the problems it caused and how you kind of helped them back away from that. Um, if it, you know, don't name any names, but if you have an example, that would be great. Yeah, I do. So, um, you know, recently we were working with a company that, um, you know, is deploying uh, a SaaS product and it's new to them. So okay. um, they're not traditionally like a, a technology company, um, okay. but they have they have an IoT and Internet of Things component to their business. And okay. of course, like this is starting to happen all over the place. Right. Yep. Um, and so they they were able to to produce like a, a light version of that. Um, that's a pure SaaS based, um, uh, platform. And so, you know, as they were building that out and saying, Hey, this is going to be a lot, a lot higher volume, a lot lower, um, hardware need. Cause there isn't actually an, you know, an IOT element to it. It's purely like, you know, if you are, um, you know, in a cleaning service, for instance, mm -hmm. um, the thing that the product that they provide is basically that you have a, a, a tablet um, and the, 
those the cleaning individuals will come in and they log all of their activity and you can log all of the um, the different supplies and all of that. And so basically, you know, where that, you know, where that helps these companies is like, hey, if you actually understand when a space needs to be cleaned, you know, how much traffic is going into that space, when you need to replenish things like paper towels and toilet paper and stuff like that, um, you're able to then more strategically deploy that um, those resources, right. Versus a traditional model that says, Hey, like, um, you know, we just come three times a day and clean this bathroom. Right. Yeah. And you can imagine on scale how important that is because in in an, in an airport, let's say, or in a stadium, um, your ability to be more prescriptive and strategic about how all of that is operating is huge. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it's a really fantastic, idea. Um, and they wanted to be able to hand something to someone to kind of test it out and kick the tires and see what this software could do. Um, and then think about, hey, if I deployed the the whole kit and caboodle of having like scanners right mm-hmm. in a room so you can actually see when people are coming in and out of these rooms and you can um, have that level of visibility, you can save a ton of money and a lot of time. Um, and so it's a, I mean, it's really a great solution. Um, there is an assumption that with that, this newer kind of pared down SaaS version that's being launched, um, that doing onboarding purely with the tech touch approach um, would be successful. Um, and so, you know, on the one hand, I would say there's a, there's a point of view you can be like, we're going to start with the lowest amount of effort and kind of add as we see fit. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we're going to start with just tech touch. And hey, if we figure out that we really need people on this, we'll put them there. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that was kind of their approach was like, let's figure out like how little resource we could put um, at this beginning piece, because it is a very <laughs> low cost version. Right. Yeah. Um, now, the, the flip side is, you know, an, a, a different strategy is to say, hey, let's actually attack this new thing with a super high touch approach so we can make sure that we understand what works and what doesn't and then see if we can replicate that within the technology, right? So those are the two strategies that you can, that you can look at. Um, and really what we're finding is we're like working through building out these workflows is it takes a ton of steps for these people to just get onboarded, right? Like, Hey, they're going to need to set up these 10 different things in order to get this software deployed. They're going to have to train a team of people on how to use it. They're going to need to um, get everyone's buy-in, right? So you have like cleaners that are going to need to change their process. And we all know, like you ask anybody to change what their process has been for a long time. I mean, that requires a certain level of finesse, right? And Mm -hmm. understanding of like the value that they get from leveraging um, something new. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so these are, this is like a sticky area, right. Where we've discovered, Hey, like this onboarding is super complicated and it's going to yeah. be really rough to deploy it during, to, you know, during doing tech touch only. Um, but all that said, I mean, we put all the things in place. Um, there are ways to, to do, there are ways to, to do that. Um, but we have found like, you're going to need a person somewhere, even if at the end of the day, they can only be reactive. Like, let's say you're in a position that's like, I just, we simply cannot provide proactive customer success during onboarding, even though it's complicated. Um, Right. 
Okay. So that means you've got to at least have somebody that can pick up the phone if somebody's having trouble and really walk them through that, right? right? And be there and listen and understand who these customers are, what they're trying to do, what challenges they're facing. Yeah. So it is tough though to scale without some level of automation. Uh, what pieces of a typical onboarding process do you think that it makes sense to automate? Um, certainly, you know, um, more intuitive, administrative types of activities. Um, and particularly if you can, if you can leverage something like an in-app notification, that's going to help a ton. Um, so for example, if you, uh, if you sign up for, you know, let's say like a document sharing, you know, cloud-based platform so that you can do something like share, um, you know, construction, like blueprints and like 3D models mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. Like there, there, um, there's software out there that does that sort of thing. Right. Um, and when you log in, like immediately, hi, welcome to the, you know, mm-hmm. glad to see you're here. Let me walk you through all the things you need to do to get set up. Right. So those are places where that's super appropriate. Right. Um, to just kind of get your feet wet, like poke around, um, get the basics down here, you know, here, come over here. This is where you go for the knowledge base. Um, here's where you go to add users. Here's where you come to, you know, upload your first document. Here's the button that you push to do this, right? Like that, that can be very effective if it's done really well. Um, I do think it requires truly understanding the experience of your end users to do that well, but I, mm-hmm. I think it can work it can work really well. Um, the, the limitation really comes when it's like, okay, so let's say I've been doing manual paper blueprints and documents and sharing amongst my team, my construction team and my design team for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And now I've got this software that somebody bought and is telling me to use. That's where you need to get somebody on the phone to say, hey, like, yeah. What's your day like? What are you doing? Like, what what does the dynamic of your team look like? Who's doing what? Are you, um, you know, do you have like areas where you have RFPs coming in? And if you do, that means like you need to make a setting where somebody sees a document when they they can put it in, but nobody else can see that document once it's in this file, for instance. Like you have ability to do permissions and things like that. So if you have a tool that can do a bunch of cool stuff and it's easy to do, that's awesome. Um, But if people are going to be really changing the way that they work, by leveraging that software, that's where like a person really needs to come in and, and have those conversations to help them get onboarded and adopted. Yeah, I think especially in the early early days too, early stage companies, um, it's helpful to have people um, exploring with the customers what it is they need um, so that you can learn it and then try to automate it later. Right. Exactly. And I've, we've found that, um, you know, we've tried a couple different things in those arenas. Like when we've had an opportunity to do onboarding for platforms, like the one that I just described, mm-hmm. um, and you, you know, and you can do things like, Hey, um, I'm going to give you control of this and you're going to click through all this stuff. And I'm going to walk you through how to do it. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. during those conversations, you can, you know, you can really dig into, what are your processes? What is your business? Right. What are you trying to achieve? What bothers you about this? Right? Like people want to be heard with that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and again, it's really important to know that the person that's responsible for using it is not necessarily the person who decided to buy it. And right. sometimes there's a huge resistance um, to it. And so you got to do a, sometimes a little reselling 
in those moments, Mm -hmm. um, which again is hard to do in an automated fashion. Mm -hmm. Before we continue with the rest of the interview, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. I want to let you know about a special live podcast coming up. Strike Deck Radio and Helping Cells Radio are teaming up for one night only, September 26th, at the Service Rocket office in Palo Alto, California. Bill Couchard, the host of Helping Cells Radio, and I will be talking about our favorite episodes, sharing things we have learned about customer success from our guests, and answering your questions about our podcasts. Join us for this live podcast on September 26th at 5.30 p.m. in Palo Alto. For more information, check the link in this podcast description or go to meetup.com and search for 2019 September Palo Alto CS Meetup. We hope you'll join us. The Success League offers a research-based certification program for CSMs. This 16-class series is based on a study we conducted on the various fields that CSMs are coming from and the skills and strengths they are bringing to the table. Our comprehensive certification course helps CSMs build knowledge in new areas and enhances the background they already have. Our online classes are instructor-led by seasoned customer success leaders and include tools and exercises that CSMs and managers can use to extend learning beyond the class. Our program is designed to drive knowledge retention, meaningful change, and real results. For more information and our fall schedule, please visit thesuccessleak.io. And now back to the podcast. So Megan, as we were prepping for this interview, you mentioned that you think companies can test to see where that optimal line is between automation and a human-driven program. How would you test for that line and what are the results that you'd be looking for? So going back to what we were speaking, like Mm -hmm. in terms of your strategy, like, okay, we know we want to deploy an automated onboarding. So again, there's generally, we can start with the least amount of resources and work up, um, or you do like very, very high touch um, with Mm -hmm. the goal of understanding what can be automated or not. And I do think that is, if you have the ability to do that, is really wise. Um, And, you know, if you take early adopters, for instance, so if you have a Mm -hmm. a lot of success um, with, with, with a customer who's really bought in, is cruising in the, the software, loves you, all that stuff, like find out what went well. So if you're able to do like a high touch onboarding, get them in, get them using and come back and say like, hey, you know, what, you know, if we were to do one, two or three, how would that have impacted your experience? Right. Um, or what did you like about the way that we worked through doing this together? Right. Uh, and I think a lot of that qualitative stuff can really help define your strategy a lot better. Um, I think having a really good understanding of who your end users are and, and, and how they operate, um, is, uh, is important. Now, if you, if you don't have a lot of that ability, you can use things like behavioral data, right? So if, I mean, you know, the flip side is if you're, if you're going in, you know, just putting all your money down on tech touch out of the gate, um, you're going to lean a lot on, the data. So you can, you can kind of see where people start to drop off. So if there's like, if your onboarding checklist says, you know, once a customer has done like these five things, they are considered onboarded and they can use the system fully. Um, and you're seeing that there's an issue where they're getting to like that third step. And then all of a sudden they don't use it anymore. 
right? Like, yeah. th- like those are places where you know to dig in um, and start to think like, okay, so what, what are we doing here? Like, what are we not doing right? And again, any feedback, any verbal feedback that you can get from a customer on what worked for them and what didn't in those moments, I think is really going to help you. Um, I do think also understanding it's super iterative. Like in all likelihood, the thing that you deploy is not going to work the way that you want it to out of the gate. And so <laughs> right. you, like, just so, so watch for those things, like be sort of vigilant yeah. and just know it's not going to work ex- exactly right. You're not going to really know until you get the thing running and you get people through it um, and you see what's working and whatnot. And you, you just have to have people in there tinkering all the time. Um, so, right. you know, if you're going to deploy something like that, make sure you've got somebody really smart um, and somebody who knows how to look at that stuff and make those adjustments. Um, mm-hmm. You can do it fairly quickly. I mean, that's the nice thing about um, like doing tech touch, right. Is if you, you know, you launch something and then three weeks in, you're like, Oh, clearly there's something going on around the point at which they have to build, you know, this, like this tree or this map or this, whatever it is. Um, and so let's figure out what that is and and try some things and test it out. So, um, I think that's the good news is if if you're really in a place where you, you want to go all in on tech touch, just make sure that there's like vigilance and you're really paying attention to, to what your, what your customers are doing, which means part of your strategy should really be, I need visibility into as much of my user data as I can get. Which leads me to my next question, <laughs> which is if you are trying to find this balance between automation and a human driven program, you're going to need tools, I think, to manage that balance. So what have you seen work from a tools and technology standpoint? Uh, so there's a lot of good stuff out there. Uh, in my experience, we've, um, so we've worked with a number of just customer, customer success automation tools. So things like Gainsight or Strike Deck. Um, Mm -hmm. one tool that we've seen work really well, particularly if, if, um, uh, you don't have the data analytics out of the gate for that user data is Mm -hmm. is Pendo. So, Mm -hmm. um, Pendo is really nice to like plug in. And even if you're not ready to do anything yet, it just sits there and collects all your stuff. So by the time you're ready to start, you know, planning and deploying, your strategy, you know, you've got Pendo sitting back there tracking what all your customers are doing and you've got a, and you have, you can make educated decisions around, you know, what, how you want to, how you want to deploy that. Um, the other yeah. cool thing about Pendo is they have in-app notification functionality. That's pretty good. So, um, yeah. you know, just with that one tool, you can, um, take, you can analyze the data. Well, number one, you can see the data, you can analyze the data, and then you can build triggers on the data to, you know, put in in app notifications. So things like, you know, hey, let's say somebody hasn't logged in for a really long time, and then they log in one day, really special Mm -hmm. little note comes up. Or if you have, um, you know, like updates to the software, things that have changed, you can notify people the minute they log in. Um, But particularly as it pertains to onboarding, you can be very specific. Um, Mm -hmm. in terms of how you craft that messaging and, you know, where it lives and how you want it designed. So um, that's one tool that if you're kind of looking around for what's good out there um, to to start this process, Pendo is a good one to start with in our, in our experience. Yeah. Pendo, um, Pendo is something a lot of our clients use and um, their head of customer success was just on the podcast a few weeks ago. So fantastic. uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I want to talk about the human side of things for a minute, given that some parts of onboarding 
really just do require a human touch. What can CSMs listening to this podcast do to optimize onboarding for their customers? So we run into two, um, generally two predicaments that customer success teams are running into when they're owning onboarding, right? Either a CSM owns the onboarding for their clients, like that's their responsibility, but they have zero Mm -hmm. experience in any kind of project management. Um, Or there is a professional services team um, that owns it and the customer success manager really doesn't take any ownership of it because it just belongs somewhere else, right? Yeah. Those are like those are the two areas where we see the most struggle. Is um, people that are wired and hired to be customer success managers are not generally implementation project managers. That it's just right. a different skill set. It's a different kind of experience, um, and so it's important to just have some like basics under your belt. So that you can help shepherd your customers through that experience really, really well, right? Um, okay. And uh, you know, conversely, if you don't own it, but so if you're if you're a customer success manager and you have a customer that's going through onboarding and someone else is is driving that that implementation or onboarding, like be present, right? Um, mm-hmm. So just because somebody else owns it doesn't mean it's not your responsibility. It is, right? Your, your customer's mm-hmm. experience is your that's, that's on you. Um, so make sure that that's working the right way for your customer, right? And, and make sure that, that that process is really driving what the customer wants. Um, because a lot of times, and, and of course, it's, it's understandable, but like a team that's responsible for onboarding or implementation has their own metrics they have to hit, right? So if they're in a world mm-hmm. of like, hey, customers have to be deployed in 30 days. And that's the rule and that's the metric they're trying to hit. What that can turn into is really shabby implementation sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. which means you're going to need to, as a CSM, you know, do some relationship work, um, and identify where those gaps are to make sure that your clients get onboarded correctly. Um, just as an example, right? Um, so, I mean, my guidance is, you know, for a CSM team or for a CS team that, that owns onboarding, make sure there is some knowledge of basic project management skills. Um, And so know what your tools are. So however that works, right? And I don't know, it it doesn't always have to be super complicated, right? But know how, you know, know how to leverage a timeline, know how to leverage a basic project plan, know what a dependency is, right? And how that's going to impact a go live. Um, Make sure that you're driving things like actions, owners, and timelines, right? Make sure there's a Mm -hmm. lot of communication going out to all the right people at the right times. Like those are like really key basic things, but they're easy to miss. Right. Um, yes. And, and, and in terms of like style of onboarding, like there's more like classic waterfall type project planning, which can be fine. Um, you know, if it's something that's a little more lengthy or, or your company is more familiar with agile using scrum, um, it also is great. So, you know, whatever you feel comfortable with, just have a basic understanding of how a project functions. Um, if you're working with mm-hmm. a professional services organization that has a methodology that they're really locked into, know really well how that works um, and how it's supposed yeah. to work and really know how well that's working for your customer. Um, and so that's great. Uh, yeah. And I like, we talk a lot about like knowing that like true north is, your customer's objectives, 
right? So, um, mm-hmm. you know, James Scott and oh, I forget who he did it with, but, you know, he did a webinar once upon a time and said a couple of really smart things about this, where when um, you're a project manager, it's really easy to just like have your eyes on your feet all the time because you're, you're just marching through your list of stuff. You're like, we got to do this and we got to do that at this time. And those things are important, but they might not be that important to your customer. So, Mm -hmm. um, know that, you know, we talk about time to value as a way to measure your onboarding, right? What's valuable to your customer may not really align with what your milestones are. So as a customer success manager, you have the ability to go like, what are you excited to see? What are you most looking forward to do? When is it going to become impactful for your business, right? Like, when is this going to like serve you in a way that's exciting for you? Um, that's the kind of stuff, um, that like a, a customer success manager should be thinking about during that onboarding process. And in, in my opinion, great. Last question, Megan, what do you see as the biggest trend in customer success right now and why? Um, this is this, I've been thinking about this for a few days, like trying to be like, what is the biggest thing? Uh, <laughs> it's a tough one. There's so is, many things going there's, on. There's so many things. So I yeah. thought I'd, I'm going to touch on two of them. Okay. Um, I do think more broadly with, um, digital customer communication, number one, um, beyond onboarding is huge, right? Mm-hmm. So the need to communicate um, in a genuine way with customers through automation that does not feel like they're being sold to is really important. Um, and mm-hmm. everyone's sort of figuring out like, does CS own that? Does marketing own that? When and how and what? And like, Who's reaching out to my customer and when and how does that sound and how does that look and how does that feel like that's Mm -hmm. that problem is only going to get bigger. Um, And so that's a big problem people are trying to solve. And and it's new and there isn't a ton of expertise around that yet. Um, So that that's a big one that I'm going to that I anticipate we're just going to see grow and change. And, you know, the tools are going to get bigger and they're going to get smarter and people are going to get smarter. And so it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Yeah. I, I, I love to talk about that one more because that, that one to me is really important. And I think what it really is, is it's a shift from selling stuff to customers toward creating buying experiences for customers where, you know, buying is a piece of it, but the customer experience is the bigger picture. And I think it is going to bring together teams like sales, marketing, and customer success, all under kind of this customer success, customer experience umbrella. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's in instead of it kind of a focus on selling to, it's going to be creating opportunities for buyers to buy. That's right. And and that's, I mean, those are the conversations we're having too. So when you're mm-hmm. building out these, um, these tech touch strategies, there's a point at which a sales organization and a marketing organization is going to go... Well, after they've done one, two, three, when do they become a lead for this other thing? Right? right. And that like there's a there's a point in time where that that customer is looked at differently amongst different organizations. And that data is really critical to at what point, you know, marketing and sales feels comfortable selling them a solution based right. on how well they've adopted and are using a more basic version, let's say. Um, but the thing you gotta be really careful of is you're like, if we're really focused in on just making them love this 
you can't do that and sell to them at the same time. Customers are right. super, we all know when we're getting sold to. Like at this point, there's no <laughs> yeah. question. Like, you know, like, so yeah. you're not going to fool anybody. Um, and so if, if it's purity of purpose, right? If you're really, right. if your job is like, I want, I want this customer to get onboarded and I want them to use this and I want them to love it then that's all yeah. you do, right? And that's where like CS is is the right organization to own that communication in our experience because they get that. And that's really what they want to be doing versus, you know, I think traditionally and like inside <clears throat> marketing, it's very, it's, you know, you're trying to sell stuff. It's, you know, so, um, which is fine in its own right. So, but yeah, like starting to understand the differentiators there um, is really critical. And, and to, to circle back to the mini thing, um, the dealership that I, <laughs> the dealership that I get my mini from has awesome digital communication. Like they are oh, so, me too. oh man, they're so good. Like, and I'll just plug yes. it's the Ralph Shop mini in Lone Tree, Colorado. Um, but they, you know, the services organization, I have, I mean, just great updates on like, Hey, here's what happened last time. Here's where you should like, think about when you should come in next. Right. Yep. I got a call from the guy that sold me my car a year after I bought it. Hey, Megan. How you doing? You still love in your car? Like, it's like, hey, mm-hmm. thanks, Tyler. You're best. Um, so they've kind of nailed it, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, and I do think like car dealerships and places like that are getting their arms around this um, pretty quickly. They really are. And it's, it's interesting because that kind of points to the trend of, I feel like what we get to experience in our consumer lives um, with all these great consumer buying experiences is starting to leak into business to business. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, all of us who buy technology for work, we also buy all this other stuff in our consumer lives. And we're like, why, why is it so much better when we buy a car, which used to be the worst buying experience you could have. And now is one of the best. Mm -hmm. Why, Why can we have that? And then when we go to buy software for our company, it's this big, messy, you know, cumbersome process of purchasing departments and, you know, like, um, you know, onboarding and, you know, and so I think a lot of the companies that are leaders in customer success are waking up and saying, hey, we need to own this customer experience and we need to create um, a buying experience that it is more aligned with what people are seeing in their consumer lives, because that's the expectation now. Right. Exactly. Like that's what they're expecting. Um, and you're sort of competing with every other element that's like that, that's, that's coming at your customer, right? So yeah. we're, we're all being like groomed to expect things to work a certain way. And I think that's a great point you make, Kristen, around like, well, in our personal lives, we see this. And so when it's not happening in B2B, we're going to feel like it's bad. Um, yeah. Also, I have. I think there's this tendency to overcomplicate it. Like yeah. we we get wrapped around the axle really fast, especially with all the data points that we have. And I, you know, I'm like thinking about you know the cars and stuff, and I'm like they don't even have very much data. It's all time based stuff. It's like yeah, hey, it's been six months since you did this thing. Now, is that is that necessarily the best way to go about it? No, but just recognize like don't sit around and wait to have a lot of data points to feel like you can give customers a positive experience, right? Like just, you know, try to put yourselves in their shoes as much as you can. Exactly. I mean, it ultimately comes back to how would you like to be treated, you know, and it sounds Mm -hmm. sort of simplistic, but if you kind of do that and say that to yourself, you will come up with a, a good program, you know, if you put yourself in the customer's shoes. It's golden rule, Kristen. 
It is. And that's a good place to wrap up. So, Megan, you are my fellow Mini Cooper fan, and I appreciate you joining me on the podcast today. Um, I know the audience took away a lot of good tips and ideas from you on how to balance automation and humans. I thought you had some really awesome points on that. Um, Thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. If someone wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, I am on LinkedIn. It's super easy to find me, uh, or you can go to our website and it's esgsuccess.com. Um, yeah, come, come find us and come talk to me or, or anybody here. We'd love to, um, we love to talk about this stuff all the time. So reach out. Thanks, Kristen. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And finally, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.